Well, we're glad to have our ladies back home from latest conference. I understand they had a great conference for all of you ladies who went. And uh, it's about 2,000 ladies at our campground there. And they had a great conference. God bless them. Praise the Lord. Last Sunday night, uh, our evangelist made a statement that has caused some people to say, Brother Myers must be lying. And I'm gonna straighten it all out here this morning. And this is what it was. He said, I had knocked on every door in Palm Bay. You remember him saying that? Then he said twice. What he meant was that he said it twice, not that I did it twice. And I did say it twice because I had knocked on every door in Palm Bay. And I had told him that, praise the Lord. And somebody says, how in the world, 115,000 people in Palm Bay? And he's knocked on every door in Palm Bay. I said, Brother Herring, that was 45 years ago. <laughs> 45 years ago, 6,000 people lived in Palm Bay when we came here 46 years ago. Let me tell you how that all came about, just so nobody thinks I'm lying about it. Uh, we came here in 71 uh, in August. And uh, the church asked me, said, would you mind Brother Myers working on the side because there's not a, enough income to support you full time? I said, of course, I'll be glad to do that. So I went to work for an insurance company, was where you collected insurance and then sold insurance along the way. And the uh, debit that I had was up in Cocoa. So I worked that way from, from about August right on down through the year over to about May of the next year, which was like long about this time of the year. And uh, so I got to thinking about it. And I thought, you know, if I could work full time for the church, the church could grow better, faster, and so forth, you know. So I went to Brother Jenkins, Brother Jenkins is here, he can verify all this. Went to Brother Jenkins and Brother Hall and some of the other brethren that were in the church. I said, brethren, if you will give me 100% of the tithes for three months, and let me see how many people I can win to God in three months. And they said, all right, we'll do that. I said, June, July, and August. What I did, I quit my job with the insurance company and I went to work doing this, knocking on doors. And I would literally be at the church at eight o'clock, pray, and of course have my breakfast before I got to the church and pray. And then I went out and I was knocking on my first door at nine o'clock in the morning somewhere in Palm Bay. Now that was when there was only 6,000 people there all down around the old church down that way. Also there was the ones on Malabar Boulevard. And, uh, and, I, and, I, and so I went from door to door. I did not go back and hit the doors the second time. And there was not always somebody there to talk to. But I knocked on doors, talked to a lot of people, met a lot of people. And the base thing that I did was say, I'm Pastor Myers. I just want to invite you to our church, to our Sunday school. They said, thank you. I said, here's some tracks. Here's some invitations. And that was about the extent of it. I didn't really try to win nobody. I just wanted to invite them to church. Amen. So I knocked on doors. For three months, I did that. Just as regular as a clock. I worked from, uh, worked from uh, 9 o'clock in the morning, took a break at noon, ate lunch, went back to work. As soon as I had eaten lunch and worked till about 5 to 6 o'clock in the evening. So I'm just telling you how I did it. And that was, and that was the truth. I knocked on every door in Palm Bay. And uh, 
knocked on one door, and the lady says, come on in. I came on in, and she said, hey, Willie, hey, Sue, come here. And she called somebody in the back room. They'd come out. She said, this is my son and his daughter-to-be. They have just gotten their marriage license. Are you ordained to marry couples? I said, I am. They said, will you marry us? We got our license and ready to get married. I said, when you're getting married, this was on Friday. They said, tomorrow, on Saturday, but we don't have no preacher to marry us. I'll marry you, I said. So I came back Saturday morning and married them. Praise the Lord. And uh, I I went and knocked on one door. And it's it's all kind of people you meet, but I just, uh, you know, invited them and so forth. Uh, That was one lady. I remember knocking on her door. And uh, her name was Delilah, and they will forget it. She said, I'm so glad you came. I've been praying about a church to go to. So she came to church, got saved. She had a son named Ian. And Delilah and Ian uh, were in the church, got saved, walked with God, lived here for two or three years. And then they uh, moved to Washington, D.C. Several numbers, numbers of years later, they went to Brother Mitchell's church up there. A number of years later, this big, tall guy walked in, African-American people. This tall, African-American guy walked in, nice, handsome fella. He said, Brother Myers, do you know who I am? I said, no. He said, I'm Ian. He said, you knocked on our door when I was a kid, invited me and my mom to church, and he said, we got saved. I said, well, how is your mom? She, he said, she's still in the church, still going to church up in Brother Mitchell's church in D.C., in the D.C. area there. So I'm just trying to say You just never know the far-reaching effects of it. But I did knock on every door in Palm Bay. I'm not lying. (laughs) But it's only 6,000 people. That was most of the people that was off of of Malabar Boulevard, you know, Port Malabar Boulevard. Not Malabar Road, but Port Malabar Boulevard. That Ruckel area right in there. And very interesting things and so forth. God cannot uh, but help us and bless us for every effort and every work that we did. Brother and Sister McKimmy, God bless you. Uh, Brother McKimmy was a, was a councilman uh, on, the, on the Melbourne Council Board for years. And he was such a blessing to this church. His influence. We were having street services one time. I don't know why I'm talking this way, but I just feel like I want to do it. And we were having, we want to have street services. So I went to Brother McKimmy. I said, Brother McKimmy, can you get us a, a permit to preach on the street? He said, sure. So he went and had one printed up and came back and handed it to me. Brother, this is the truth, Brother McKimmy. He handed me that, that piece, piece of paper. And he said, here's your permit to preach on the streets. And it has no expiration date. I still have it. <laughs> There's no expiration date on it. He said, there's no expiration date. It's not just for one week or one month or three months. He said, it's for as long as you want to use it. Praise the Lord. So Brother McKinney is always a blessing. His influence was powerful. Brother Richard Jenkins became vice president of Harris. That's a powerful position that man held. He was a director for a long time. Finally became vice president. And uh, his influence was tremendous, especially helping some of our people that needed help and so forth. So I just want to say here, what a wonderful and great bunch of people in this church. And you were here, some of you, when we came, and then a bunch of you got saved, and the church has grown, and it's just been a wonderful thing to be part of it. And you know what? 
the church is going to keep on growing. It's going to keep on growing, praise the Lord. Uh, God's got some great plans for this congregation still yet. Amen. I don't know how long, you know, being 80, nearly 82 years old, I don't know how long I'm going to be, be around for it. I hope I've been around a long time. But I just want to say here, this church has a great future. And God bless all of you people who are part of it. And you people, God bless you for being such a vital part of the kingdom of God and the work of God. Amen. Well, I could go on and on talking about a lot of you here. Brother and Sister Hall, a lot of you folks that know Brother Hall, he was a great guy. Uh, Sister Hall's husband, he died a number of years ago. But he was a great guy and just a real precious soul. I injured my back one time in, in doing some work. And I could not really, literally, I could not walk for about six months. I literally, in fact, I got a brace on right now on my back. If I look a little crooked, why? This old age catching up with me, I guess. But I never will forget, I couldn't walk. And Brother Hall and Brother Jenkins said to me, Brother Myers, don't worry about anything. You just make it to church if you can. And if you can't, we'll cover everything. Brother Jenkins and Brother Hall and the others, they all filled in and everything. And they just, and they said, don't worry about your check. You'll always get your check. Praise the Lord. Until I could get back on my feet and was back on my feet again. So what a great church this is. And it's just been a privilege to be part of it. You have treated us so very well. And I highly respect you and esteem you for it. Well, let's get into the Bible study. Everybody ready for it? Amen. Amen. We're looking at the book of Daniel. So, uh. I'm going to have you turn with us, if you would, to Daniel chapter 9. We are studying uh, Daniel, uh, Daniel's 70 weeks. And I want to just make mention to you here that this was a period of time in which Daniel uh, was uh, praying. And he found out that Israel was going to be in captivity the Babylonian captivity there in Babylon and the media Persian Empire, he would, they would be in captivity for 70 years. And when he found that out, he prayed about it, went to God in prayer, and he said, God, forgive us of all of our sins and transgressions and all that we have done. And he prayed a long time in his prayer. And when he got all through, the angel Gabriel appeared to him. Now, I'm going to recap some of the things I talked about last week. Everybody's with me now. All right, look at verse 20 of chapter 9. And it says, Whilst I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, notice he said the word sin here. It didn't say sins, but he said sin, basically a particular sin that they were committing. And he said, Presenting my supplications before the Lord my God for the only mountain of my God. Verse 21, yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, this is the angel Gabriel, and he is the messenger angel. The man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, he's referring here to a previous vision he had had. He'd had two more before this, and he was referring to the one from the very beginning. Every time Daniel had a vision, it was Gabriel who always appeared to him and spoke to him and gave him the word from God. And Gabriel always told him what God told Gabriel to tell Daniel. And he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I am now come to give thee, this is verse 22, give thee skill and understanding. And then down in verse 24, here's what Gabriel finally begins to tell him. Now everybody put on your thinking hats and 
hang in here with me on these things. I've already talked about it last week, but I'm going to recap just a little bit here before we move on into our lesson for today. Verse 24, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. And I'm going to say in the outset here that a week is, is seven years, not seven days. So when it says a week, it's speaking of seven year period, not seven day period. So he said 70 weeks, 70 weeks. That would be 490 years. You add them all together. He says 70 weeks are determined upon that people and upon that holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness, excuse me, and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Can I just tell you here, it was the Lord's perfect will and his perfect plan that whenever this period would end, that Israel would be in the place, the spiritual place to allow the Lord to bring in what would later be termed and is prophesied over in Isaiah and many places in the Old Testament, what is called the millennium, which is the thousand years of peace. And it would be whenever God would be on this earth and in the form of Jesus Christ, but Jesus had not yet come and he would be on this earth. And so it was saying here that in this 490 years, it's God's divine perfect plan for this to all be worked out and for this to happen. And this is what would happen, he went on to say here. Verse 25, now therefore understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto, unto the Messiah, the Prince. So here he announces that it's all based on the coming of the Messiah. Messiah, the Prince, meaning that he would be the son of the Prince. That means that God would be his father. He would be the man or the manifestation of God, what you would see so forth. So he said the Messiah. So he said he's, he would, uh, would, until the Messiah, and then he goes on to talk about the time element here. Let me just say this. In other words, God's plan was for Israel to accept and receive Jesus Christ as their Messiah when he would come. And the angel Gabriel was telling him exactly when the Messiah was gonna come and when he would come, this is what you've gotta do to receive him and to believe in him and trust in him. And if you did that, God would elevate Israel to a high degree and Israel would lead the world in being people who would serve God and live for God and walk with God, praise the Lord. And so this was God's divine will and God's divine plan for Israel. Now here's what he says, and I'm gonna go ahead reading on here. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to read verse 25 here. Look at verse 25 with us. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem. Uh, this is one that, that Bible students have debated over the years. Many people think that it was whenever uh, there was the commandment given by Cyrus the Great in his first year of office for Israel to go back. That was, that was Zerubbabel. The, the leader of the Jewish people. And then that was also Joshua, their high priest, when they would go back with 50,000 Jews and rebuild the temple and so forth. And they thought that would be when it would be. However, the, here it says to rebuild, they would go back and to rebuild the temple. 
or Jerusalem, not the, not, the, not the temple. What they rebuilt was the temple. And they went back and it took them 21 years to build that temple. And so we've already talked about that, how that, uh, that Zerubbabel and his group went back. This is all recorded in the first six chapters of Ezra. Even though Ezra was not among them, it's recorded in the book of Ezra. Ezra, Ezra would not go until some 50 years later. Ezra would come himself and go back to Jerusalem. And so while it was talking about this group, this is not the group that the commandment to go back and to build Jerusalem is commanded of. So it says here, know therefore and understand that from the going forth the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah. So you've got to know which one of those commandments that was given and the groups went. There was three of them. One was the one that went with, with, uh, uh, with, with uh, Zerubbabel. And uh, there was the, the next one was the one that went with Ezra. And the third one was the one that went with Nehemiah. Nehemiah was about oh, 12, 14 years after Ezra. But it was from, it was Ezra's going back that counted. And it starts in Ezra chapter 7 and goes on from there. And that's about that exodus going back. And when you calculate that to Jesus Christ, it comes out almost to the year perfectly. So I say almost in the sense that the months are, you know, like a half a year or whatever uh, is, is, in predict is, is not predictable because they don't know when Jesus was born and so forth and when he began his ministry. So, uh, it, and it, it was recorded to Jesus's ministry, not to his birth. And so when the Messiah would come is like when he would be introduced. So anyhow, it goes on to say here that from the time that the commandment was given to go back and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. Now it's funny that he divided this, this 69 weeks and notice it has not said anything about the 70th week yet. You notice that? So he's talking about 69 weeks and seven weeks. I mean, uh, 62 weeks and seven weeks, which is 69 weeks. And so he says that it, it divides up into two groups here. So you read this, that should be two weeks. That, that's two times, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, seven weeks, which is 49 years. And then there should be uh, three score in two weeks, which is 62 weeks. And 62 weeks is 62 times 70. And you've got 434 years. So anyhow, these periods of time here, you wonder why is this in here? Let me give you a little, and this is only speculation, okay? Why was it broken down? Because he goes on to say here, uh, let me just read this part of it, then I'll explain what I'm gonna tell you here. It shall be built again and a wall even in troublesome times. And after three score and two weeks, shall Messiah be cut off. That means he'll be killed. And I'll get into that in just a moment. But after three score and two weeks, so the three score and school year is the latter part of it. And the, the, uh, the, the 49 years is the first part, the 434 years is the latter part of it. So why is that broken up? What is it in between there that the angel Gabriel would put it in two different parts? And uh, let me just tell you what I personally think. And uh, this is my own personal beliefs about it. But whenever you had that first 49 years, you had three prophets who prophesied. You had uh, Haggai, you had Zechariah, and you had Malachi. Malachi is the last prophet of the Old Testament. 
These other two prophets were the two that preceded him. If you look in the last three books in your Old Testament, that's what you have. Haggai, Zechariah, and then you have Malachi. And uh, these men would prophesy and they did a prophesying of telling Israel when they were back in Jerusalem what to do, when to build. Uh, and, uh, and one time they really got onto the Jewish people about letting the temple just be half built and never finished it. They went for a long time because they had opposition from all the people around them and they just let it set. And finally the prophets got, uh, stirred them up and said, look, it's time to get back and rebuild it. And God had put it in their hearts to do that. Malachi was the 49th year. His ministry actually lasted for about 23 years, but in the middle of Malachi is where that 49 year period falls. And here's the irony about it. After Malachi, this is called the 400 years of silence. 434 years is at 62 weeks. God never had a prophet. He never spoke to Israel. He never addressed them. They had no prophet. They had nobody that ever spoke to them for 400 years. It's called the 400 years of silence. And uh, it was during that period of time that they simply had to wait for the Messiah. Messiah would come and when he would come, he would tell them what they had to do and so forth, but they had to wait. So I'm just telling you that because God never had a prophet during that period of time and it's possible, and I'm only saying this is possible, this is my personal opinion about it, is that the reason it's broken up is that those last 62 weeks were periods of time in which God never had a prophet who was giving direction to Israel. Israel. And when you read Malachi, man, Israel was really going off in the wrong way. They were really missing the boat. And they were saying, he was, they were saying, uh, how is it that we've done this and that? He said, you say, how is it that we've done this? And he says, you've done this and you've done that wrong by doing this and doing that and by saying this and saying that and all these kind of things. And the Lord really rebukes Israel through Malachi. And from that time on, they never hear from God anymore until Jesus come or John the Baptist comes. John the Baptist was a forerunner, of course, as you know. So here's what it says in verse 26 here. I'm gonna read this again to you. And it goes on to say here, and after three score and two weeks, now verse 26 we are in, this is kind of recapping what we talked about last week. After three score and two weeks, this is the last part of that time, shall Messiah be cut off. Now it goes on to say that it would be up unto the Messiah in verse 25, unto the Messiah, the Prince. And this is after that, the Messiah would be cut off. Folks, the word cut off means he would be killed. And in all of the Jewish literature, here it is in Daniel, that the Messiah, Messiah would be killed. It says it right there. After six, three score and two weeks, shall Messiah be cut off. And the Jews have a hard time with that. And many of the Jews just hardly have a hard time accepting the book of Daniel. They, they, they read it and they, they said, man, there's so much there. And how is it that God sends us a Messiah and he's gonna die? It doesn't make sense. See, things just didn't line up because when the Messiah would come, he was to bring in, usher in all of this wonderful millennium that they had been reading about in other scriptures. Are you still with me? And that's what they wanted their Messiah to be and what they wanted him to do. When Jesus came, 
One of the reasons the Jews rejected Christ was that he was not the Messiah they wanted him to be. And he had come not to set up the millennium when he came the first time. He had came to save their souls from sin. And they did not look at themselves as people who were in sin. They looked at themselves as people who were seeds of Abraham. We are fine. We are of Abraham. Nothing's wrong with us. We want you to lead us into battle and victory. And we want to destroy the Gentile powers that have that are that oversee us and so forth. And this is the way that many of them felt. And so when Jesus came and he talked about how that they needed to do good and be good people and walk right and act right and and straighten up their, their, the way they live under the law, they had a hard time in dealing with that. And of course, that's why they finally eventually crucified Christ because many of the people followed him, but the ones who were leaders, they did not want the people following Christ. Now, let me finish reading this 26th verse to you. And after three score and two weeks, this is our last uh, six, 69 week period, shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself, now you see that, not for himself. This is a clue here that Jesus or the Messiah was not going to die because of what he had done or what he was guilty of. Now I want you to go to Isaiah 53 for a moment. Let me show you. And it's, it's funny how it's in the Bible. Uh, I, I think of that, that guide that uh, we've had, I guess a couple times our groups of people from our church have had, oh, when we go to Israel, Edo, Edo. Uh, he's a remarkable person, but it's taken him years to become uh, what they call a messianic Jew, which means I believe Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And he was telling your pastor, this on this last trip they had over here a few months ago, he said, uh, I kept hearing it and reading it and seeing it over and over and over, taking people on tours and so forth. And he said it kept falling like drops of rain until I could not deny it anymore. It, that Jesus Christ had to have been the Messiah and everything. And that's how he finally turned to that belief and said, okay, I believe Jesus is the Messiah. And of course, he's a believer to this day. But the reason I'm bringing that out to you is that it's, uh, they have to push aside a lot of scriptures until they keep seeing it, keep seeing it, and they keep seeing it. Finally, they have to say, it's there. We've got to acknowledge it. It's in our Bible. That's the Old Testament, their Bible. Now, look at Isaiah 53 for a moment. I'm going to look at the fourth verse, 53, 4. Speaking of Jesus Christ here in a prophecy, this is the 53rd prophecy. The first several verses, two or three verses, uh, speaks about him being despised and rejected of men and so forth. Finally, verse 4 says, Surely he hath borne our griefs. Notice that. And if you've got a Bible in your hand, put a ring around the word our. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him not, we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. That's the way we looked at him, that he was just stricken of God. But he was wounded for our transgressions, not for his own. He was without sin, of course, we know that. For our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Everything that Jesus suffered and went through, he did it that we might be saved, that we may be healed, that we may have our iniquities taken away and so forth. Verse six, all we like sheep have gone astray and we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
All right, so I'm saying here what Isaiah is pointing out. Verse 8, I'm going to read verse 8 here, and then I'm going to go back to Daniel for a moment. He was taken from prison and from judgment. This is describing Christ, even though he would not come yet for several hundred years. Isaiah was about 700 years ahead of Christ coming. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off. Isaiah says that. Cut off means he was killed. You see that? He was killed. Out of born. He doesn't say the Messiah. He doesn't even mention the word Messiah. So we have to know that when we read these scriptures. Declare generation. For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people was he stricken. If we were to go on, it talks about verse 9. He made his grave with the wicked. That means that he, was, he had a grave. And uh, it goes on to say how that uh, verse 10, when thou, at the bottom of verse 10, when thou makest his soul an offering for sin. And it goes on to talk about how that for their iniquities and so forth. And at verse 12, in the middle part of it down, in the, about halfway down, it says, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. So what I'm pointing out to you here, Isaiah had mentioned all of this, but over in the book of Daniel, it lets us know that we're talking about the Messiah here. The Messiah was cut off. So the Jews should have been able to put all this together, but how could they do that and think Jesus is going to come and restore everything? And that was God's perfect will for Israel. But they, but God knew what would happen, and Daniel told, I mean, Gabriel told Daniel exactly what was going to happen. Now look at verse 26 very closely here. I'm going to read this again and follow through with me. And after three score and two weeks shall the Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. Okay. And that's, that's brought out in not only uh, Isaiah 53, but also you can read it sometime in, in Psalms 22. These, both of these chapters is a description of the crucifixion. Psalms 22 is how Jesus felt on the cross. And, and, uh, and Isaiah 53 is how he'd look when you, if you were down on the ground looking at him. That's how you would look at him from outside position looking at it. Let me finish reading here. Uh, Messiah was cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come. The people of the prince that shall come. Who is this prince? And we talked about it. And uh, in 70 AD, Vespasian, who was the general leading the Roman army through northern Israel, headed for Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was rebellion. They were telling the Romans they weren't going to pay taxes no more. They were not going to be part of the Roman Empire no more. They were rebelling. And Vespasian, who was the old general that was well-known, liked, and number one general with the Roman army. He had this huge army he was leading. And what he was doing was conquering one city at a time, little by little. One village here, one village there, one village here, one village there. He would conquer them. And then he was headed for Jerusalem to eventually conquer Jerusalem. What he was trying to do was to make the Jews see and know that they had no way out. They were not going to escape. They could not win. This was a losing battle. And in the course of them doing that, in the course of them doing that, uh, the, the emperor of Rome died and they called Vespasian from Rome and said, come back to Rome. We want to make you the emperor. And Vespasian went back to Rome to become emperor. He said to his son Titus before he left, he said, you take over the army 
and lead them on down through Israel and then conquer Jerusalem and follow through with the plan that I had. Along the way, they had also conquered Josephus, Flavius Josephus. And Josephus was the historian who wrote the history of the Jewish people and all that about that Jewish war. And he wrote it being on the Roman side in their captivity. He was in their, uh, under their arrest. They captured him, kept him under their arrest. And actually Vespasian, yeah, where he sort of liked Josephus and Titus sort of you know, went along with it as well. And a lot of Jews of this day do not like Josephus because Josephus, but Josephus has the most exact history of that war and that battle that was fought there than anybody else. And that's what everybody draws from because he's the only one that wrote the, wrote the history of it. Josephus was born in uh, 37 AD. He was born shortly after Christ was crucified. He was born. So that's going way back there. Let me finish what I'm reading here about this prince. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy. Notice it doesn't say that the prince shall destroy the city, but it says the people of the prince shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The people, of course, was the Roman army. And I've told you this before and I've mentioned to you in times past about, and this is all recorded in Josephus. Josephus records this, that when they went in and, jo- and, and, uh, and, and Titus told them, don't destroy the temple. Don't destroy anything about the temple, spare it. But when they got to the temple, the soldiers started burning it down and he stood out in the middle of them and yelled and screamed. This is all recorded in Josephus. It's got, that's got paragraphs of it where that he yelled at them. He commanded his generals to tell the soldiers not to do it. And he threatened them and everything. But, he, but Josephus goes on to say, it was as though they never heard him. Now, why do you think that was the case? Because God had already said that that would happen whenever the Roman army would come in under Titus and that all happened in 70 AD. And Jesus Christ had been crucified, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and Israel had rocked along for a few years. And then finally here comes Titus with his Roman army, everything that was prophesied. Now, I want you to go to Luke for a moment. Luke 21. I'm gonna show you here where, uh, where Jesus talked about this when he was on earth. And uh, there was, all, all of the gospel books recorded, I think, uh, I'm not sure about John, but I know Matthew, Mark, and Luke do. They record this where Jesus wept over Jerusalem. And he said, I would if I could have gathered thee unto me as a mother hen does her chicks, but you would not. I loved you and I would have protected you and kept you, but you would not let me do that. Jesus told him one time, me you have not received, but there cometh one after me, him you will receive. And he's talking there about the Antichrist that would come. So anyhow, he goes on to say here, I'm reading here in Luke uh, chapter 21. And uh, this is a, a prophecy part here. And he goes on to say here in verse 20, 2120 of St. Luke. 2120, St. Luke, I'm uh, sort of leaving it up to the people over in, the, in the overheads there to be able to keep up with the screen. I know I've, I'm all over the place, guys. Thank you for being so diligent about the way you do things. Verse 20, and when ye shall see Jerusalem come pass with armies, this is Jesus now talking to the Jewish people and to his disciples. When ye shall see Jerusalem come pass with armies, then know that the desolation is nigh. In other words, this place is gonna become desolate. 
And he's talking about the desolation that was prophesied about Daniel from Daniel. Then, uh, then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains and let them which are in the midst of, the, of it depart out and let not them that are in the countries enter thereunto. For these be the days of vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled. All these things that's been talked about, God's going to let it come to pass here. But woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. This people referring to the Jews. The Lord, the Lord is prophesying about it. And then it goes on to say in verse 24, and they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. Speaking of the Jewish people, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And he's talking here about all those things that Daniel spoke about and everything. And he was saying, that this is going to happen. And this is exactly what Daniel talked about over in the book of Daniel. Daniel talked about, and this is what's recorded here. It says, when the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, everything. And then it goes on to say, and the end thereof shall be with a flood. This is about back in Daniel here, chapter nine and verse 26. And the end thereof shall be with a flood and under the end of the war, desolations are determined. And folks, that's exactly what happened. And Jesus spoke about it here when, when, during his earthly ministry, which is around about 30 AD. And in 70 AD, 70 AD, it happened. And all of that devastation came. And that was over 1 million. They, 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 I think Josephus estimates that was 1,300,000 Jews that were either killed or taken out slavery. They were taken out in the age, Egypt. They were sold on the auction block. They were sold as slaves all over uh, the old Roman Empire at that time. They were just dispersed. Uh, some of them were able to survive, get back to Palestine, hang out there a while and so forth and try to get, you know, Israel started back again, but it never worked and so forth. And they were scattered. All of this according to the word of God as the Lord has spoken about it. Now, I'm not going to, I've only got five minutes left and I'm not going to get too far into this, but I want you to look with me in verse 27 for a moment. Let me explain something to you here. Verse 27, you still got one week left. Everybody remember that? 69 weeks, but there's 70 weeks are determined upon that people. So there's seven more years left. So here's what he says in verse 27. He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. He, he, who is he? Who is he? And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate even unto the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. All right, so who is the he? It's not Titus because Titus never made any kind of a covenant with the Jews. He conquered them and walked away and went back to Rome. And when his father later died, he took the throne and became the emperor of Rome. He never made any deal with the Jews at all, never did. You say, well, this is speaking of Jesus. It's speaking about the prince, the Messiah, the prince. And he shall confirm the covenant with men for one week. What? And go ahead and then 
and then brought in the overspreading of the abomination and the desolations. Jesus never did that. See, none of this can apply to either Titus or Jesus. So who is it? And most conservative Bible scholars will agree on this, that between the 26th verse and the 27th verse is a chasm of time that we do not have anything to show for it because the prophets never saw the church age. And what you actually do is jump from 26 to 27, you go from the destruction of Jerusalem until the coming of the Antichrist. And this he is referring to the Antichrist. You say, Brother Myers, that's a long stretch, you know. No, no it isn't. Let me show you something in the scriptures. I got Bible to back it up. I want you to go with me, if you would, please, to, uh, let's see if I can find the right verse. Uh, go to Luke 10, 24 with me. We were in Luke 21 a while ago. Let me see if I can find it myself. Luke 24, 10, 24, I'm sorry. Here's what it says. Jesus speaking here, for I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see those things which ye see. That's the things that, that is that in the church age. Things which you see and have not seen them and to hear those things which you hear and have not heard them. Now this same statement by Jesus is recorded also in Matthew. I won't try to read that because it's the very same thing there. But uh, I do want to refer you to, uh, to Peter, I think it is. First Peter and uh, chapter one, verse 10. First Peter, chapter one, verse 10. Of which salvation, that's the salvation we have now as the church, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently. You see, the prophets wanted to know what this was all about, but they never could see it. They even talked about it and prophesied about it to a little degree, but they wanted to know more about it, but never could understand it because God did not reveal it unto them. One place Jesus says that nobody knows the day nor the hour. That's the coming of the Lord. And that would tell you if you knew the day and the hour, the coming of the Lord, you could sort of figure out how long the church age would be because they knew that the Gentile were going to receive the word of God. So you know when the church age would be, but you could not know when the, how long the church age be if you didn't know the day or the hour of the coming of the Lord. And the Lord said two places. He said that no man knows the day or the hour of the coming of the Lord. No, not even the angels of heaven. They don't even know. Nobody knew when that time would come. So there were some things that the Lord sort of kept that even the angels did not understand. So Gabriel could not have related to him the period of time between verse 26 and verse 27, he had no knowledge and no understanding of it, neither did the prophets that prophesied in the Old Testament. This is what Peter says, verse Peter 1 and 10. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ which was in them, the Bible says the holy men of spake as they were moved on by the Holy Ghost, when the Spirit of God moved upon them, they understood there was some greater depth here, so that which the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. And so these people, uh, these angels, and even the angels did not understand, and even to some extent in the beginning of the early church, they did not understand how long the church age would be. Nobody really knew. 
Now, not even the apostles knew because God did not reveal it to anybody and he still hasn't. Therefore, when you see somebody says Jesus is coming in such and such a date, forget it. I'm serious. I'm serious. I've done this. Go to your calendar and write on there, Jesus is not coming on this day because nobody knows the day nor the hour. And I've heard them talk about it. They, they set one date I forgot here a while back. They set a date it was, uh, I don't remember what year it was. I mean, I've, I've seen, I've, listen, I've lived for God now for 60 some odd years and uh, 65 years, if not longer. Anyhow, I have seen all of this stuff come around and, 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 and just go to your calendar to mark one. I've said them set the date. One of them was, was December the 22nd, I think it was, 21st, 22nd, that Jesus was coming back such, such a year. And it never happened, you know. Somebody else said he was coming back in, I think, 1986. And then they got close to it and they said, no, it's 1987, 1988, we made a mistake. 1988, it didn't happen, you know. I mean, but what I'm trying to say, nobody knows the day nor the hour of the coming of the Lord, folks, and nobody ever will. Now, I'm gonna take this, this is gonna be a very interesting thing because I'm gonna show you in the other parts of Daniel where it talks about this period of time and how that it talks about when the Lord is going to restore Israel. In other words, there's a, there's, a span, uh, there's a span of time that nobody knows the day or nor the hour of the coming of the Lord. The only thing we have to go by, the only thing is in Hosea 6.2, and it says, a day with the, it doesn't say a day with the Lord, it says, after two days with the Lord, will the Lord revive Israel. And we have to hook that up with two other scriptures in the Bible. It says a day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And when you put them together, you said after 2,000 years. But how you could uh, do that and know that was for sure, unless you could do it by hindsight. In other words, we, we are now in 2000. So we can say that must have been what Hosea was talking about back in Hosea 6.2. You understand what we're saying here? A lot of the fact that we can look back, we can understand better than those who were trying to look ahead because it was not revealed to them. Praise the Lord. And God has allowed us to understand these, us being God's people today, to understand these things. Now next week, I've got some real interesting things. I'm gonna get into the book of Revelation. I'm gonna show you some things here, how this ties in with the latter part of Daniel, and also in the book of Revelation about the Lord restoring Israel and what all that has to do with us. Can I just tell you here today, folks, it is later than you think. We're getting close to the coming of the Lord. The church age will come to its end. And because it has not for 2,000 years, men will say, where is the Lord's coming? And the Bible even says that they will say that. Where is the Lord's coming? Oh, I've been hearing that for so many times. Well, the Bible says whenever they start saying that, then look up for redemption draweth nigh. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad you know the Lord? Praise God. Let's stand together. Let's worship God and let's just praise him and thank him right now for his goodness. Lord, we love you today. We thank you for your many blessings. We glorify your wonderful name. Bless this great congregation. Bless all of these good saints, Lord. We ask you to bless this day. Be with us, God, in our morning service. Bless us immensely. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.